Hello, everyone. Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. We are happy to have you along with us. Thrilled. We continue to go episode by episode through the outstanding show, Rectify. We're on episode 208. This uh, series was originally on the Sundance channel, and it has since been picked up on Netflix. The Great Destroyer. Hey, man, you want to know a little trivia? You know where that title, The Great Destroyer, comes from? What? It comes from an album by the Duluth, Minnesota indie band Low. Do you know that? Do you know that? Did you do some research on this? That's some deep. That's some deep Duluth yeah, indie rock yeah. music knowledge. There's some there's just a Minnesota connection. I don't know if you listen to the band Low, but you should, and everybody should, man. They're incredible. This is an album of theirs that came out in 2005. They're still together, this band. Um, yeah, it's really, really it's such a good band. And so there you go. The Great Destroyer. That's what, I think they use the, the song silver rider in the next episode according to imdb trivia pages that's so good that's good song, uh, it's funny the inside song baseball n- yeah nothing from the album is even on this uh episode but it is on the next episode so yeah, hey tony well, talking about baseball and yeah. you know we talk about watching tv are you excited that baseball is coming back Dude, if you look, if you go to my um, Twitter or Facebook accounts, you will see a link to a YouTube video of me umpiring a baseball game last Sunday. Yeah, you told me that you were out on the mound there, out on the out on the field, out behind the plate, on plate, plate. You calling could, the balls and strikes. You got it, man. You got it. I I uh, you can now go on YouTube and watch the game and determine if. Uh, if you think I'm a good umpire or bad, you can question my every call. It's too bad because, you know, it's like a little community television station deal that filmed it. And it was like a three camera shoot and they do a really nice job on the game. I did have one close play at the plate and they missed it on the camera. It's like, I don't know what they were shooting, but no. they completely oh, missed you guys got instant replay at that play. level. I we wish- go to the monitor for instant replay. <laughs> No, we don't have robot umpires calling balls and strikes either. Thank God. Hey, Tony, we're talking about TV and we're talking about this in the age of COVID. And it just changed everything with release schedules of films and, you know, live sports is kind of slowly creeping back. You know, I'm watching MLS tournament. You hate that. Baseball is coming back. That's the most boring sport ever made. Exciting. but I'll probably tune into some baseball. I'm just speaking about this in terms of watching television, right? I'll yeah. probably tune in for a couple of baseball games, you know, uh, pop open a beer, take a nap on the couch. There is something ex- I've been out of baseball for a few years now in terms of following a team. When it, Amy yeah. and I first moved to the Bay Area, we were kind of rabid Oakland A's fans, right? Because we didn't really have a baseball team growing up. Sure. Um and we had like season tickets and it was always fun to go to the park, but you know, kind of years went by and we just, you know, it's a time commitment to follow a baseball team, but now we're looking at a shortened season, 60 games, one of the few live events on TV. I may, I may check back in. Hey, I, I think you should. I, I do remember coming to the end of last season 
in which the Minnesota Twins were very good last year, and I watched almost every single game, either at the ballpark or on television. That's a time commitment. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's been interesting for me is, uh, you know, that's virtually every day. It's like six days a week. It's, you know, three to three and a half hours a commitment. And <laughs> you just, you get a lot of time back when the MLB season is canceled. You get a lot of time back. And I've I've been a little bit twiddling my thumbs. I mean, it's probably better for me not to be watching television three hours a day. I maybe shouldn't admit that on a television podcast, but uh you know it's 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 a big commitment and i miss it but probably need to moderate my behavior i will say this before we get back to rectify the minnesota twins arguably that this is arguably their best lineup in history and you just just if you do the math on uh, wins above replacement which is like the fancy stat they use these days to figure out how good a team is. Basically, if you were to replace a player, you know, like having that player in the lineup versus another player who plays that same position, how many wins above replacement does that player give you? So the Twins already had like the top war in MLB, and then they added in the offseason Josh Donaldson, who's like an you know, incredible all-star, slugger, golden glove, um, third baseman. So... Yeah, the twins. The here's the tricky part. Here, the tricky part is that every win and every loss is the equivalent of two point five wins or losses in the regular one hundred sixty two game season and a shortened season. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these guys. Uh, Hopefully, you know you're going to see some major league baseball players actually play injured. It's nothing like your sport where a guy will um, swing to kick a ball. He'll miss the other guy's shin by a foot and a half, and still the other guy will fall down, cry for his mommy, grab his shin, and then wait for the trainer to come out with a stretcher and carry him off. It's why I believe in Jesus, Tony. It's why I believe in Jesus, because miracles happen every match. The lame walk again. It just renews my faith every time I see it. But, you know, in terms of baseball, like I love having these conversations about sports and television, and I know we'll get into rectify very quickly. But I, I think you know, watching baseball, I'm as intrigued uh, by it as a production now uh, as a sport, right? As a fan of a particular team yeah. or player, the Twins are going to be very good. I was watching some highlights or some uh, segments about them on Sports Center last night, and they they have a stacked team. But in terms of how do you how does MLB pull this off? What what does travel for these teams look like? What does the broadcast look like? No fans in the stands. Um, and same way with the with MLS. Uh, the same way yeah. with the NBA that's going to be kicking off next week. It just as a it's going to be interesting watcher, watching. It's really these, interesting. Yeah. yeah, watching these different. Uh, on the one hand, in baseball, at least you're going to get to see the insides of different stadiums, and. Uh, when it comes to basketball and soccer, and it's going to be the same with the, NA, the remainder of the NHL season, they're basically going to be in this bubble. You know, they're going to live in a bubble. They're going to play in the same arenas over and over and over. And you do wonder if it will, you know, if fans will start to lose their interest. Uh, it's been weird. It, they've been practicing at Target Field, the home of the Twins, of like piping in crowd noise 
between at bats, like they're going to fake a, you know, it's like having a laugh track. It does, it makes very yeah, little it's, sense. It's to me awful. That, yeah. That they would do something well, the like last, that. But. Yeah. The, the, the two things that take away for me so far in all of these uh, sports, the re- return of sports, it's been, it'll be interesting to see MLS is one thing, right? There's maybe one or two kind of big names in the whole entire league. But then you look at baseball, a few more recognizable faces. Then you get to the NBA. Perhaps the biggest sports stars in the world are NBA players. And both baseball to some degree and then NBA as a whole, it's going to be really interesting to watch these superstars who aren't getting lost in all that crowd noise and all the other things that come around kind of like a packed audience to have kind of maybe a potentially more immediate connection. And then also the positive takeaway is – the news yesterday is that there are zero cases of COVID reported in the NBA bubble. And it's just interesting to see that as an experiment almost in, in quarantining extreme quarantining, so to speak is actually working. Somebody had posted in a comment about it when the virus has nowhere to go, it just dies. Right. And so if there are ways to keep communities like that, it's really interesting to see. Obviously we're, you and I were talking about COVID before we were on here. That's impossible to, to mirror in other parts of life, but it has shown to be effective, at least in providing a return for this major business, quite frankly, and some entertainment for sports fans. Yeah. You know, TV fans. And, I mean, but these guys are all, every single one of those guys is a multimillionaire, if not a hundred millionaire. And they don't need to go to the grocery store. They got a private gym. They got somebody cooking private meals for them. They're really the most elite, privileged people in our culture. Um, but also, on the flip side of that, these are people who are not used to being told what they have to do. They're used to yeah. doing whatever Total they want. Total freedom, to do, basically. You know what yeah. I mean? yeah. And now they're like, you have yeah, to stay and- in this hotel. And I know a few of them have gotten busted for like going out to mm-hmm. bars in the, Orlando. And the line, yeah, the, the hotline's been the hotline's been ringing off the hook. Well, uh, let's talk about Rectify now that we've chatted. 208. Other TV. Yeah, 208. What? what I, I, I mean, destroyer. I just think in, in addition to the great title, The Great Destroyer, I really think it was a great episode. And it's one of those episodes that you, you and I have talked about it before. It, it's one of those episodes that gets a lot done. It really pushes the plot forward, I think, especially right at the end of the episode. Yeah. And I texted you as soon as I had finished watching it. You and I deserve some sort of commendation or like a medal or something for not watching ahead. Whatever, whatever TV award we could get. Because when you finish 208, you just you automatically just want to roll into 209. And, and we've been fairly disciplined to do that. Yeah, that, that was but, tough. You texted me that and I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. It was... Okay, Ryan, here's a funny little thing that has – I, I want to throw out a little funny thing that has um, implications in my own life. I, you know who's growing on me in the series? A very minor character to this point, but I really love his presence on camera, and that's Jared Talbot, the, the younger, the youngest kid in this mixed family. And he goes over He's to a Teddy's talent. house. That's a good I, actor. I guess yep. – I guess I'm still not clear on if Jared is the son of Ted Sr. and Janet. Like, 
Jared, I guess, was born. I mean, obviously, Jared was born when Daniel was in prison. Since he seems to be about, you know, seventeen, I'd say. So was you know was was Daniel's mom Janet pregnant? It seems like based on the timing, Jared must be Teddy Junior's stepbrother not his biological brother. It seems like he must be Daniel's brother, right? But he's a he's like a fiery redhead, uh, just like Ted Jr. So uh, do you have any clarity on that? I think it's Ted's son, right? I think it's Ted and Janet's son. Ted and Janet. Yeah, or do you think Janet and I don't her because I think, I, I think Daniel's father died of the heart attack when Daniel was on death row and after he'd been there a while. Yeah, but that doesn't, but that means they could have had another child, right? She could have had. Yeah, but then he would be like pregnant. 12, you know, I, 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 I yeah, I, we, we need to get a writer on here and ask. Anyway, sorry about that rabbit hole, but I really like Jared and I love this interaction when he goes over to, uh, Ted Jr., Teddy and Tawny's house. And I just love that Teddy's after Tawny goes to bed, after she gets sick to her stomach hearing about this, um, the plea deal that's been offered, that <laughs> Teddy Jr. is like, uh, let me get you a beer. And first you hate, and he's like, yeah. Then they're sitting out back, you know, hey, barely touch your beer. Yeah, actually, turns out I don't really like beer. Jared says, first you hate it, then you love it. It's called beer. <laughs> It's called beer. And having yeah. having kids of that same age right now and watching them like choke down their first few beers and then within a year they're like, I really like this stuff. You just think, my gosh, that's exactly what happens. First you hate it, then you love it. It's called beer. I like how you bring up Jared because uh, he plays um, a little bit of a crucial role in in the whole development of this episode. And I think it's a good way for us. We started talking about the ending of the episode, and I want us to come back to that at the end of this episode. But Jared goes over to Teddy Jr. and Tawny's house, of course, to tell them about the plea deal that's on the table. Unbeknownst to Teddy Jr., Tawny has spent most of the afternoon with Daniel. Right. Let's work back into that. Oh, but boy. how that second half of the episode after Tawny has left Daniel, after she's picked him up, She's back home cooking dinner for Teddy. They sit down to a lovely meal. There's a knock at the door. At every turn for me and Amy, the tension was just ratcheted up a notch. Oh, like, yeah. Is she yeah. going to tell him she was with Daniel? Is that Daniel knocking at the door? And you, because Teddy, the next time that comes up, Teddy's going to blow a gasket, right? Like, yeah. He, oh, he may yeah. Be violent with Daniel. But. Right. So there's that tension, right? The family, the whole family now knows that the plea deal is on the table. They react to it uh, in different ways. I found it interesting that Tawny shuts down. Um, she yeah. she looks Goes physically moved. She's terrified at the idea that Daniel will go back to prison, even though. That would, know, help clear, get, it would help her out. Get, it would help her out, out of her hair. Yeah. yeah. And I, hey, I want to. We're working our way back. When she picks him up, yeah, he's biking off the worst hangover you could imagine. It's so funny. It's let me just tell you this, Ryan. 
Uh, Courtney, you know, she kind of is was in and out watching behind me um, the other night when I was watching this. And she walked in, you know, toward the, I don't know, it's five minutes in and there's Daniel and she's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, he's just riding a bicycle from Florida back to Georgia. <laughs> it's like, well, how long is this guy yeah. going to ride this bike? Oh my gosh. That the, was, that was another just the long, whole time drawn out, almost painful scene. Well, I was nauseous the whole time. I was just, I think I'm going to throw up a little bit in my mouth watching just the heat. He's hung over. He's biking on a bike that's too small for him. Yeah. When Trey well, picks up his daughter, he has thrown up because you can see it on his face. <laughs> it's on his face. Do you ever hope to get married oh, one day, sweetie? Yes. Never ask a man where he's been. Yeah. So Tawny, Tawny swoops in his rescuing angel. It's in, it's interesting that he calls her. Why does he, he call Amantha? Why does he not call, he call Amantha, who would do anything for him? That's true. It as Janet says, if Amantha hadn't been Amantha, he would have still been in prison. Yeah, he doesn't call Amantha. He doesn't call Jared. Uh, any any of the kind of acquaintances he's made so far, he calls Tawny because they're not finished. Yeah. And Tony, I want to play a part of their conversation that happens on the road. So, well, that happens when she drops him off at the yeah, at so the pecan field, which is one of the last. Thing. Yeah, it's one of the last places we saw Kerwin. This is a it's a very special place for Daniel. And he takes her there or he asks her to drop him off there. And we're going to play a segment from that now.
I mean, uh, this might be the reason Daniel called Tawny to answer our, our question before you played that clip is Daniel wanted to be alone with Tawny. And let's be honest, that's just not going to happen unless he makes it happen. Tawny's going to, and, and she actually ends this conversation by saying, I'll never do this again. I'll never pick you up like this again. And, but they, it was like they both needed some kind of closure, even though it seemed like they'd gotten it a couple episodes ago. But, you know, Daniel is very skeptical of Tawny, asks why did you want to get saved Asked, do you know peace? And she says, sometimes. And, you know, he presses her. And we know from what he's been reading, and this is so interesting because did you notice what he was reading in in the flashback, the prison flashback? Flannery O'Connor. Yep. So he's reading Flannery O'Connor like one of the great Southern writers of faith. I mean, the greatest, arguably the greatest He's asking, uh, you know, here's somebody who she wrote about, Flannery O'Connor wrote about her doubts, wrote deeply about faith, etc. And now he's pressing Tawny. She doesn't really have answers. Like, why do you believe this? I believe it because it's true. Or is it true because you believe it? And then Daniel, of course, says, well, so if I believe there is no God, then there is no God. Like, you believing something doesn't make it true. And all she can come back with is say, because you're lost. I mean, the, the, the chasm between these two characters is growing. The, it, just in the, it, I would just say, just in the course of this season, they have gone from being so close, almost a, an uncomfortable intimacy, to really, really far apart and awkward. Flannery O'Connor wrote about people like this. Not only did she write about doubts and belief, and her characters would fit right in in the fictional town of Pauly, Georgia. And in some ways, some of these characters would fit perfectly in her short stories. But there's often an element of foolishness or the ridiculous to some of the religious characters in Flannery O'Connor's stories. But Tawny's no fool. And I think she reveals a depth, even in her own innocence, there's a depth at play here. There's a, there's a moment in which there's some malice. It feels like on the part of Daniel, some anger. Yeah. Yeah. Tawny does not take that bait. Right. And you know, when she said to him, because you're lost, Amy was sitting next to me and Amy said, amen. Like, <laughs> there's a well daniel a even said amen i mean daniel was yeah, like at least yeah, we he agree knows. on one thing <laughs> yeah yeah and that's a you know to say like it, it may not come from you know believing in some you know traditional evangelical faith yeah. but recognizing that life is complex that we're broken people um that that we're just lost in terms of trying to navigate existence you know what does that look like? And then you add to that everything that Daniel's been through to yeah. to uh, insinuate for him to insinuate that he could get through life without any outside help. Let's just put it that broadly that way is ludicrous. And I think for her, it's she is trying to um, stress to him. You just need you need help. You need a guide. You need someone for her. It's a savior. That's yeah. the language that she knows and that she uses. You know, we've seen so far that the great moment in prison with the chaplain, 
there was reference to the chaplain in this episode. Yeah. Um, I haven't checked IMDb to see if he comes back, but you could see maybe Daniel rejecting even that connection, right? In in prison. And, you know, is it Jet Wendell Jelks? Is that his yep. um yep. neighbor in the cell? You know, one of the things he says to Daniel is, Yeah, I may be afraid of dying, but you're afraid of living. And it yeah. seems to be there's that uh, accusation that Daniel's unwilling to connect with anybody else. It's understandable that he he doesn't want to connect with, you know, Wendell. But there seems to be that accusation that he didn't even connect with the chaplain who was there. Right. He The way Wendell refers to the chaplain, it's like he's long gone. Um, mm-hmm. Now, we could be I could be wrong about that. We could see him later. But, you know, that's Daniel's great struggle so far. And it's completely understandable. It's not a judgment. Uh, but his great struggle is connecting with something outside of himself. Yeah. Also seems to be uh, pre-death row, pre his experience on death row, he had that difficulty as well, right? Like he's he was removed from whatever happened that night that Hannah died. He wasn't fully there, but he wasn't also completely innocent. So yeah. the, Daniel's an interesting, interesting uh, bird. Well, one of the things that happens in this episode that you and I have been waiting to happen is we, th- there's a little light shed on what happened the night Hannah died. At least that, you know, Daniel says to his attorney, John Stern, who looks very just bedraggled and, you know, he, he just looks, John Stern looks like he's at the end of his rope at this. He needs a vacation. At, yeah, he. I mean, he needs something. He needs a change of vocation, probably. Da- Daniel says, "I want to listen to my confession from when I was, you know, whatever, seventeen years old." And um, John Stern says, "Well, I've got it on my laptop." And one of the things that happens at the end of the episode, as they're kind of showing, you know, you can't hear a lot of the conversations that are going on, like between the state senator and Ted Senior. They meet late at night. And I'm, you've got to guess that Ted, Se- uh, Ted Sr. is hearing from the senator about the coffee grounds in the anus incident with his son. You know, stuff like that. Just it, There's just different stuff happening that this is what I'm saying. It's like moving the plot forward and why you wanted to keep watching and just go right into 209. Tony, these elements that move the plot forward are still bound up in Daniel's identity. Who is Daniel? What is he capable of? So the senator can go to the tire store to meet up with Ted, and we know what they're talking about. Prior to that, we've seen the conversation between the former sheriff and Sheriff Daggett when they're talking about the confession. And the former sheriff, the oh retired sheriff, is basically saying we coerced Daniel. Like, this is a, a, a forced confession, basically. He's admitting it. Daniel wants to and, hear and, that. And he even yeah, admits Daniel, to Sheriff Carl that George... Yeah, George reached out and wanted to meet with him, and he said no. Daniel wants to hear that confession again. Yeah. Daniel goes home. He's got the headphones on. He does this weird thing of arranging a body made out of pillows, straddles it, and as he's listening to the confession, to what we now know might be a forced confession, he is mimicking those actions and strangling this doll and the whole time we're wondering, oh, my God, Ted's just heard this. Is he going to walk in and see Daniel doing this? Oh, my gosh. But all of this is against the 
all of this is against the backdrop of to kind of continue our conversation about Tawny and Daniel's parting. You know, Tawny essentially tells him humans and even you, Daniel, aren't the worst thing that you've ever done. Right. Yeah. There still is goodness in you and it's worth nurturing and exploring. And there's value in that. And and that's the backdrop. We have Tawny here recognizing this about Daniel and basically outside of, you know, Amantha and Janet, everybody else highly suspicious, uh, fairly convinced that Daniel is. I don't know, as simple as this sounds, more bad than good. You know, what's, and what I found revelatory about him listening to that is, as something you said just a few minutes ago, at the beginning of that interrogation that he's listening back to, you know, 18 years ago, he's, he's asked by the sheriff, you know, what happened then? Like, I left. Well, what happened then? Did you, did, you know, did you have sex with her? There were other people there. Like, what happened then? I don't know. I don't remember. Obviously, there were drugs involved, you know, because he's accused. Why did you give psychotropic drugs to a, you know, teenage girl? And there, obviously, that entire night, uh, Daniel doesn't remember in detail, which is part of the reason they were able to coerce a confession out of him. And you know, the suicidal death of George just totally adds to the complexity. What do you think Daniel's epiphany is in that final shot? I mean, right. I, 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 mean, I, I don't know. There's something there's something in his mind. He has realized something. Don't you think? Do I have it in me to kill somebody? I think that's like that's why he makes the little stuff dummy and he's listening to the confession and he's choking and he's trying to get back in touch with some hidden latent memory from that night. And, and I think he's thinking did not just even did I do this, but could I have done this? And this is, you that's know, a deeper, it's a deeper question, Ryan, because that's right. And I think that's what uh, I, I believe that's probably what Ray McKinnon might be getting at. And it, it is, as you and I know, as you know, theologians, it is uh, a, a narrative plot point as old as time. Any one of us has it in us to do something terribly evil. It, it's like, much of Christian theology is based on that, that, that yeah. any one of us could do the most evil, most evil of deeds, mur- murdering another human being. I said earlier that, you know, Tawny implies that we're all broken. I mean, that traditional, there's an element of traditional conservative theology that says not just we're broken, we're vile, you know, we're evil. Yeah. And, you know, but for the grace of God or whatever, I I think he... I was going to say that's a deeper take on his on his epiphany at the end. I was thinking maybe it unlocked a memory for him that now yeah. he actually knows something about that night or remembers something. Regardless, going forward, it's it's at least to the viewer. I don't know how you feel about this. I know you have friends that are attorneys, and this there was miscarriage of justice throughout that process. He didn't have an attorney present during the yeah. interrogation. There were a lot of things happened that night that it feels like if John Stern was, I don't know, maybe he's too burnt out, but it feels like there there's a lot of ammunition, so to speak, on their side to keep 
to acquit Daniel. Yeah, that's what I don't really understand. I don't really understand why John Stern doesn't feel more confident about his case when um, there's DNA evidence that seems to be exculpatory, when uh, they can pretty easily say that this teenage kid who was under the influence of drugs was coerced. They probably could even call the retired sheriff and under oath, if they really pressed him, he probably would admit it because he seems to want to cleanse his guilty conscience about that. I just don't. And then there's George is nowhere to be found. So there's one of the witnesses for a retrial. And Trey is obviously not a very reliable witness at retrial. I so I just don't get it. You know, one thing they might say is, well, Southern justice, you know, we're never going to get a, a, this is like to kill a mockingbird. You're just never going to get a, a, a jury to actually, you know, consider the facts. But they, the, at least the, the writers of these scripts have no, not, to this point, relied upon that as the reason why John's... And John Stern, honestly, has not really revealed whether he thinks Daniel should take the plea deal or not, although he seems a little bit leaning in that direction just because he wants this case over with. He just yeah, doesn't seem like he's in a good headspace yeah. to go to trial, you know? And whereas... Whereas the new the new prosecutor, she seems she's like raring for a fight, even if she doesn't think her case is that strong. John does not want Daniel to fry for this. Right. And that's yeah, his fear. Yeah, yeah, that's is true. That if, that's a good point. Because if they he's find him guilty, he will fry. Point. Yeah, that's right. And and they'll fry him quick too. I hate to be crass, but they would probably carry out that execution fairly quickly. I don't know the appeals process for John, but um, you would think the state would go about that process quickly, yeah. given the the threat of them looking like they had wrongfully imprisoned a man for 18 years. Okay, one last thing I want to ask you about before we go. Another thing that happens kind of in the at, at the end of the episode when there's not, you know, we can't hear, again, we don't hear what happens. We can't hear dialogue. We just see it through the eyes of one of the characters. Jared goes to Hannah's house and she sees Bobby Dean go in. This is Hannah's brother, the one who is responsible for the beating of Daniel. Uh, And, you know, Daniel doesn't press charges. And so Bobby Dean gets um, released from jail. So Bobby Dean walks into his house, starts sobbing, and falls into his mother's arms. And I'm just wondering, I'd, lo- I'd love to get your take on what you think that's about. What's happened? I think that has more to do with Jared, maybe, than it does Bobby Dean or Hannah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Jared asks, you know, Ted tells Jared about the plea deal. And... You know, Jared gets wise to it fairly quickly, right? He said, yeah, but that means he would have to confess to doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, Amantha says something similar. And I think Jared's also wrestling with kind of the same question that's central to, to who Daniel is and maybe Daniel's own search for the truth about his, himself is, is he capable of this? You know, is, yeah. is Jared trying to plan some sort of confrontation with, Bobby Dean, I don't think so. I think he's just trying to understand. Look, look, Daniel didn't even confess to doing it. 
and Bobby Dean almost killed him. Yeah. Right. Daniel's just simply let free on the possibility that he may be innocent of her murder. If Daniel confesses what, what then would Bobby Dean do? And I think Jared arrives to see something that he doesn't expect, which is Bobby Dean is just weeping in his mother's arms. I don't know if you read, if you felt the same way about that, but Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe it's that. I mean, Jared, let's, let's remember again, Jared plays a very minor role, but one of the things we see earlier, you know, as Jared walks in, there's a family conversation going on about the plea deal. And, you know, they say something like we're having a conversation or something. And, you know, it's not a secret or like, and, and Jared says something to the effect of when does this, like, since when does this family start telling the truth or not keeping secrets or whatever? Like, so there's something yeah, yeah. about that. Maybe he's, I think you're right. I think he's starting to do his own little investigation. Like all this stuff that happened before I was born, like, who are these people? Who is Hannah's family? Who's my older brother or stepbrother or half brother? I don't know what it is. Daniel, like, it, well, what's he, he and actually he's capable of doing? Yeah, and he sees, and he also sees through Teddy Junior's bullshit, crystal oh, yeah. clear. Like, oh yeah, just the way he interacts with Teddy. You know, Teddy's always, "Hey, little brother, hey, buddy," and then uh, Jared's just really not having any of that. Like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to be drinking beer with Teddy Junior. Well, another fascinating episode. We got two more to go in this season, and then then we'll be halfway through. So many pathways that we could go yeah well all right great to talk to you ryan and we'll uh tune <laughs> the, in the next covid week. sign off well all right <laughs> we'll tune in next week for two erect by 209 thanks everybody hey, for listening yeah like thanks subscribe share do the thing appreciate it talk to you next week